0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about our live stream church services, the Walk in Truth podcast, how to donate, and how to find us on social media when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael and part three of his teaching in 1 Chronicles 12, 32 called Understanding the Times.
1: those who are looking at scripture and trying to understand our times and know what we should do are saying, hey, the government's keeping us from meeting with one another. Well, let's let's back up for a second and try to calm down for a second and realize at first I think this was done. Let's just give the benefit of the doubt to protect health. And I'll reiterate that our greatest concern is loving and caring for the flock of Jesus that he's entrusted to our care. That's the heart of every leader here. So we quickly went with that flow and realized, you know, this is what we need to do. But now as time is dragging on, we're asking questions about, well, how could this be considered essential and this not? And they, whoever the they may be, wherever you live, are keeping us from meeting together. And we want to be considered essential because we minister to the soul and we want to honor our God and we want to assemble together. And Hebrews 10.25, are we disobeying it by not being together? This is just what we've been wrestling with. And I'll say this to you. Hebrews 10.25 was written to a persecuted Hebrew people that some some of whom had moved away from Christian fellowship for the fear of persecution. That's why they were no longer assembling. Because in the first century, if you confess Christ, you could be booted out of the synagogue. You could lose your property. As we read in Hebrews 11, the very next chapter, there was persecution. There was a cost to meet. As much of our brethren around the world knows that cost in underground churches. So some people stayed away for fear of persecution. Here, some people are staying away for fear of a virus. And we know what's happened. And I want to tell you that when we reopen, you're going to have to wrestle with this and make a personal decision. No one's going to force you to come to church. No one has to go to a church. You're going to have to decide before the Lord what you're going to do. Now, I know that many of you have already voiced your heart and you want to be here. And that's that's understandable, and it's wonderful, and we all want to be together. But I don't want anybody to feel undue pressure. If you have an underlying health concern, if you, know, you want to navigate a little bit more slowly to returning to corporate worship, that's up to you and your individual conscience. But I'm laying the arguments before you so you can wrestle with them. So here we have this classic case in Acts 5.29. We must obey God. Rather than man, there's a higher law, and Hebrews ten twenty five is on the table because right now we are not meeting together. Now would God understand if we didn't gather? If we knew that everybody was going to get sick if we gathered, I think God obviously is going to give us grace there. He wants us to be well, but now we're getting to the point where we're beginning to wonder how long will this go on, and are are we disobeying Scripture and Again, I'll I'll have you wrestle with that. We're not being told we can't preach the gospel, right? Services are streaming. The gospel is going out. That's good news. However, there is concern about our fellowship, about uh, other passages that I could put before you. Now, the Bible says, and this is a, a different context, but let me just put it before you, that we should use the law lawfully. There were times in the New Testament records in the book of Acts where there was an appeal to the law or even to the higher courts. In our land right now, there's courts of appeal and there's even the Supreme Court. And often what happens is if there's a court case that goes on, somebody sues somebody else, the, the case could go up all the way to the Supreme Court, to the Court of Appeals and all the way up to the Supreme Court. Well, you might be surprised to know, and some of you are not, that Paul made such an appeal in Acts 22. Let's flip over there. We continue to wrestle with how we navigate these times. Let's take a look at how Paul used the law. Paul was a Roman citizen, and uh, citizenship in Rome was not easy to acquire if you were not a natural citizen, but Paul was. And this is Acts chapter 22. Let's pick it up in verse 25. Paul was in Jerusalem. Uh, a lot of people wanted to take him out. There was a, a riot. And Paul is now, uh, I think he's in the, the barracks here. When they stretched him out, Acts twenty two twenty five 25, with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, notice, is it lawful or legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Other versions say a Roman citizen. And uncondemned hasn't had a trial. When the centurion heard this, Acts twenty two twenty six, he went to the commander and told him, saying, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman or a Roman citizen. The commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? Are you a citizen? He said, yes. The commander answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, but I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him. And the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman citizen and because he had put him in chains. And then uh, you can read on from there. He was uh, released and so forth. Paul, about to be beat unlawfully, used the law lawfully. Is it legal for you to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? Oh, you're a Roman citizen. Oh, we're going to keep the law. So there is nothing wrong. Walk the argument out now. There's nothing wrong with a U.S. citizen using the law lawfully. And you may have heard that lawsuits are flying everywhere against governing authorities, against this and that, and it's coming from everywhere. Some churches have sued the authorities, and there's small businesses, and there's if you watch the uh, board of supervisors meeting the last. <laughs> couple of them the last week. Hours and hours of testimony and emotional pleas and uh, my business and my concerns and this and that. And look, the, the cool thing about the government of the United States of America is it's a government for the people and by the people. And let's park here for a second and get a historical context. All right, take a breath. Now, the government under which we live is a government for the people and by the people. And we have means of a redress of our government if we don't like the way things are going by our representative government officials. We do not live in first century Rome. We live in the United States of America. And some would argue that we are the government, or at least we have uh, representative government, and we live in what's called a constitutional republic. The ultimate documents of the United States, the founding documents, are the highest law. When people go into office, people swear into you know uh, local leadership, they swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. And the First Amendment allows us to freely meet uh, as a religious group and to have a freedom of our conscience and our expression of worship. So this is important that when you read a passage in Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2, you have to consider the historic context and then ask the question under what government do we live? And it is a wonderful government that was established by founders that were largely followers of Jesus Christ. Founded, our founding documents, our capital buildings are saturated with the Bible. Now, some people don't like that, and some people don't agree with it, but it is the founding documents and foundation of our nation. Do do a little homework on the scriptures all over the Capitol buildings in D.C., and you will find out. Read some of the quotes from the founding fathers, and you will quickly discover this. And that's why we have to apply the context of today on how we deal with the governing authorities. Now, I will say this to you. I think as Christians wanting to lead a quiet and tranquil, tranquil, tranquil life, us wanting to be a good witness and win everybody who is lost, us wanting to obey Jesus to be salt and light, us seeing Jesus before Pilate and Jesus acknowledging Pilate's authority, saying you would not have authority unless it had been first given to you from heaven, but nonetheless he was still the governor and ultimately he did give Jesus over to be crucified. So we need to acknowledge Jesus even saying, pay taxes to Caesar, but render to God what is God's. This is the tension that we have. This is where we need to understand the the, uh, land in which we live and how we're to navigate these times. And that's why I think the church responding in the way that it has, being patient, appealing to our governor in California and saying, we don't want to be And uh, opposed, we want to be a partner, but we believe you need to move us to essential. Making our voice known is very legitimate. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with us taking a stand and not being a doormat. Now, let me give you a few more. Uh, This is Acts 25, and I'll just show you where Paul makes this appeal now. Acts 25, and let's just, uh, for the sake of time, go to verse 11. If then I am a wrongdoer, and Paul had to deal with his own uh, trials and being wrongly, falsely accused. He says, if I am a wrongdoer, Acts 25, 11, and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. Here in legal proceedings, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. Now, Paul made an appeal to the Roman emperor himself. Later in the book of Acts, he uh, is on a ship that is headed towards Rome, which ends up being destroyed and shipwrecked. But Paul makes this appeal. You can write down for your notes that Paul also did this respectfully, but uh, he used the proceedings to make his case in Acts 24, 10 through 15. And you can also read Acts 24, 22 through 27. Just for the sake of time, let me just say, He's before the governor, Felix, and then he ends up before the king, Agrippa himself. And ultimately, then he desired to go before the Caesar, which many believe that he did.
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment.
1: Life on the go can make it difficult to catch up on your study in the Bible. If you think about it, Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance is here for you, kind of like a daily supplement to help your spiritual growth. You can listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want because it's on podcast too. Subscribe to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. For example, if you have an iPhone, we're on your iPodcast app already on your phone. Walk in Truth is also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. So listen on your hike, during your drive, or while you're getting work done at a coffee shop. Basically, listen whenever you want. Subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app.
0: Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth.
1: He uh, is on a ship that is headed towards Rome, which ends up being destroyed and shipwrecked. But Paul makes this appeal. You can write down for your notes that Paul also did this respectfully, but uh, he used the proceedings to make his case in Acts 24, 10 through 15. And you can also read Acts 24, 22 through 27. Just for the sake of time, let me just say he's before the governor, Felix. And then he ends up before the king, Agrippa himself. And ultimately, then he desired to go before the Caesar, which many believe that he did. Now, if you want to flip ahead, let's go all the way to uh, Acts. Ooh, let's see, twenty-eight. Acts twenty-eight, and we'll look at verse seventeen. After 3 days Acts 28:17 Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews and when they came together he began saying to them brethren though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans and when they examined me they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death but when the Jews objected I was forced notice to appeal to Caesar Not that I had any accusation against my nation. I want to once again just reiterate, Paul felt compelled to appeal to a higher court because he was being falsely accused or being put in a situation that was unlawful. And then I want to show you one more. Back in Acts 26, Paul has had an opportunity to uh, witness his faith, share his story before King Agrippa. The uh, governor Festus says, Acts 26, 25. uh, He says, 24, Paul, your great learning is driving you mad. Paul says, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I utter words of sober truth. For the king, this is Agrippa, knows about these matters. And I speak to him along, uh, I speak to him also with confidence. Since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, For this has not been done in a corner. Now notice how he transitions. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. Now scholars don't know quite how to take this. It could be taken like, you almost persuade me to become a Christian or do you think you're going to persuade me in such a short time? But either way, here's what Paul says. He said, I wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. When Paul was saved, uh, Jesus said to Ananias, he is my chosen instrument and he will bear me witness before governors and kings. Paul suffered, he used the law, but his ultimate goal was to bear witness to the ultimate king. In the midst of navigating and understanding these times, we cannot lose sight of the main mission of the church. See, political leaders will come and go. Times and seasons will change. Epidemics will come and epidemics will go. But we are called to go and make disciples of all the nations. We are called to win the loss. We are called to add to the kingdom of God that will last forever. Nations rise and nations fall. The Egyptian you know, nation, the, the uh, Babylon and Assyria and the Medo-Persian Empire and Rome in the dust. Nations rise and nations fall. But a nation that will say, God is our king, That nation will be blessed. Jeremiah 18, uh, Psalm 33. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So in the midst of all of this, please, brethren, make sure that even though you're being wise and living out your freedoms as a citizen of the U.S., you're a citizen of a greater kingdom and you have a greater objective in mind. And would to God that the church would be about the business of our god and father jesus said occupy until i come i know it's not easy sometimes to know what to do and how to do it but we trust that even in god's sovereignty he can stir the heart of a king or a governor and we saw recently that governor newsom called for a national day of prayer do i know where he stands spiritually no would my greatest desire be that he comes to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior if he doesn't? And that he says yes to the churches because we've been salt and light and been a good witness. And that our unbelieving friends know what we do and why we do it and know how how we've made a decision such as this in a time like this. There's so many heroes in biblical history like Esther and others who took a stand. She didn't have permission to come into the king and, Appear before him, but she did it for such a time as this. And that's really what we want. We want to honor God for such a time as this. More could be said, but we're going to prepare our hearts to take communion. Let me just give you a couple practicals before we take the Lord's Supper. Number one, when we open the church doors, we're going to do it safely, decently, and in order. You can reference 1 Corinthians 14.40. There's not a direct contextual application there, but you get the idea. The church is to do things decently and in order. And we are uh, thinking through all of those things to keep everybody safe when the doors reopen. And so we'll be laying that out for you in the days and weeks ahead. I also want to let you know that we're going to be holding some prayer meetings, probably outdoors We'll have more information for you on those prayer meetings, but we're going to make sure that we've prayed and surrounded this building in prayer before we open these doors. Keep in mind that it's a beautiful thing that hundreds, perhaps even thousands of churches are opening on Pentecost Sunday, May 31st. It's a beautiful thing when uh, brothers dwell together, sisters dwell together in unity, Psalm 133. And so with one voice, we're going to be unified, but I pray that that unified voice will be a voice that looks to exalt the Lord and bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. I also would say that if you disagree with our decision, or if you think we should have opened earlier, um, I understand we all can have our opinions and we all, uh, you may disagree with us opening up on May 31st. You may disagree with some of the specifics or agree or disagree with a, a person that you know who, hesitates coming back on the first Sunday that we open. Let me just say to you, this is a time for us to give grace to each other, not to be backbiting, to employ the fruits of the Spirit, to not be quick to judge your neighbor because he doesn't do everything exactly the way you do it. You don't know every part of their story, nor is it your job to judge them for how they decide to deal with their specific situation. So please, brethren, I, I plead with you, be careful. And please be careful on social media. You know, it's easy to go on a rant on social media and to make your voice known, and that's your right. But please be careful how you do it and what you say. Father, thank you so much that we've had this time to wrestle with the Bible. Thank you for the living word of God. And as we get ready to honor you, um, we're going to shift for a moment here and uh, come to your table with great joy in anticipation of a time when we're going to do this together again. And it may be a while uh, until we actually take communion together. I don't know right now, but it's certainly been precious uh, the few times that we've gotten to do this together, even by this medium, because we're together in spirit. Many believers are together in living rooms right now or kitchens or wherever they may be. So we want to honor you in the taking of the Lord's Supper in anticipation of a time when we'll be together again, but also in anticipation of a time when we're going to be with you at your table.
0: You've been listening to Understanding the Times, Part 3 on Walk in Truth, the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Chronicles 12.32. And if you'd like to watch the video of this teaching, which also includes a time of worship, you can subscribe to the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel. Visit walkintruth.com and click on church, or just find us on your YouTube app. Also for you parents with young children, while you're on the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel, check out our LT Kids Lunch Break minisodes. Our children's ministries have created little Bible study videos for the kids. So if you're looking for something else productive for your kids to do, and I know I am, this could help. Again, you'll find the LT Kids Lunch Break on the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word.
1: Well, one of the things that we hope that we've modeled here on Walk in Truth and from Living Truth Christian Fellowship's pulpit is that in order to understand the times, you got to go to your Bible. And, you know, when we're navigating something corporately as a church, nationally, internationally, or even personally, the first place you go is to your Bible, because that's where God has already spoken And, you know, you might say, well, pastor, there's not always a direct Bible verse that relates to my situation. Maybe not, but maybe there is. And that's why as we've tried to wrestle with understanding the times and we've used the word tension, some biblical tensions that we see, we've gone to the verses, we've broken them down, we've looked at context, we've looked at historical settings. This is what we do in studying the Word of God. And let's not forget that it's the Word of God. And so this is where we go before we listen to every other opinion under the, the heavens. We go to the opinion above the heavens, if you will, that is from the living Word of God. And would to God that we would do this more so that we can navigate the times biblically. And when there's a disagreement on how we understand a scripture, we try to give each other grace Especially as it relates to those things which are not essential. So let's remember whatever your church or pastor has decided as it relates to these times. Let's remember some of these are debatable matters and, and matters of opinion. Let's pray for other pastors and churches and, and, uh, fellow brothers and sisters in other places. And let's make sure we're living by the royal decrees of scripture and not debating the non essentials, we can debate those, but not dividing over the non essentials and holding fast to the essentials of the faith, the gospel, the nature of God, etc. Well, we're excited to present to you a message called The Royal Decree from Ezra chapter 1. The overall study is called Returning from Captivity, how fitting that is, as many of us are getting back to our churches. And how do we navigate that time? And how do we see the sovereignty of God and all of this and keep praying and moving and walk in wisdom? Well, the book of Ezra has all of that for us. So tune in tomorrow. Tell a friend about what you're hearing here on Walk in Truth. Partner with us. If you can financially, keep praying for us. We love you. We appreciate you. And we'll catch you tomorrow on the broadcast.
0: One more thing. Walk in Truth is a listener supported program. Your $5 donation is really appreciated. So please give your donation at walkintruth.com. And come back tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Ezra Chapter 1 called The Royal Decree. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth today. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.